This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. You can have a really good story and you can have really well shot and edited action there's not it doesn't have to be one or the other you know sometimes yeah, people yeah. and in a way and i'm not again it was one of my favorite comic book movies ever and i'm not bagging it i i love it but like you know it's like um the dark knight for example you like mm-hmm. that it's a great movie personally i like there's certain things with action that i would have liked to see a little differently with, with batman mm-hmm. yes. but and, and i you know but I do, but I don't think the two have to be mutually exclusive. Like, I think you can have a great movie, a great story, great drama with great action, and then you just get everything and you can have your cake and eat it too. And I guess that's kind of what, you know, uh, what I would like to in the future films bring is, you know, or, you know, hopefully people got that with Extraction, just a good movie with a good story and with good action, bring it all together so you get to have all of your favorite things. Would you would you say that the Dark Knight Rises gave you a little bit more of what you were looking for? <laughs> no. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, not at all. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode number 19 of The Fourth Wall. I am your host, Griffin Schiller, and this is the show where we break down the fourth wall of the film industry as we get an inside look through our conversations with industry professionals, ranging from directors, actors, you name it. This show is, of course, part of the Playlist Podcast Network, where you can find the rest of our diverse film-centric catalog. We're talking shows like Indie Beat, Be Real, The Discourse, and much more. Whatever your fix is, we got you covered over there. Cosmos, the most beloved science series in television history, returned this spring with Cosmos Possible Worlds on National Geographic. The Emmy and Peabody award-winning series is again hosted by Neil deGrasse Tyson, who continues Carl Sagan's legacy of taking viewers on thought-provoking adventures to celebrate the possibilities of humanity in our universe. Through stunning visual effects, groundbreaking animation, and eye-popping visuals, the series shows audiences a vision of the future that still awaits us. Cosmos Possible Worlds is for your consideration for outstanding documentary or nonfiction series and all other eligible categories. For more information, visit natgeotv.com slash FYC. So we got a really great episode for you guys today because my guest is someone whose work you've definitely seen before, but you might not know his name, but you're going to want to keep an eye on his name because he's going to blow up and do incredible things. I'm talking about stuntman turned director Sam Hargrave. Sam's directorial debut is Extraction, the Chris Hemsworth Russo Brothers produced Netflix action film that has exploded since its initial release on the platform. It's well on its way to becoming the biggest ever film premiere on Netflix with the projected 90 million households getting in on the action in the first four weeks. One of the big takeaways from those viewers is the action is unbelievable and I promise you guys the action in Extraction is some of the best that I have seen outside of the John Wick films. And speaking of the John Wick films, Hargrave is actually a student of 
of Chad Stahelski and David Leach, the two guys behind those original John Wick films. He's worked on projects with them. He's also served as Chris Evans' stuntman in the original Avengers and Captain America Winter Soldier before graduating to stunt coordinator on Captain America Civil War and doing some second unit directing on Avengers Infinity War and Endgame. Outside of the MCU, he's been a part of the stunt teams involved in some of the biggest properties out there, ranging from the Hunger Games series to Pirates of the Caribbean, to Deadpool, to Atomic Blonde. I mean, the list goes on. And if Extraction is any indication as to how Sam's career is going to progress, I think we've got one of the next great action filmmakers on our hands. During the course of our conversation, we talk about his love of the action genre. We talk about the making of Extraction and the challenge in taking on a project like this as your directorial debut. We also talk about his working relationship with the Russo brothers, his collaborations with Chad Stahelski and David Leach. Why releasing Extraction when they did under the current circumstances, weirdly enough, was one of the best things to ever happen to the project and so much more. This interview was amazing. We had such a phenomenal time talking with Sam. I mean, the the conversation continued after we stopped recording. Honestly, we kept going for a little bit longer, just talking about our love of, you know, the action genre film. I mean, we talked about Star Wars, The Mandalorian, and all sorts of stuff. It is, it was really quite the pleasure speaking with Sam. And so I hope you all enjoyed this conversation. The interview was conducted by myself and Sean Chandler from from the YouTube channel Sean Chandler talks about and he loves action movies so this one was perfect for everyone involved couldn't have asked for a better conversation and Sam is just a phenomenal guy that I hope you all really get to know throughout the course of this interview because he really starts opening up and then we just start you know having fun and geeking out about movies which is you know we all love movies and it's great to see filmmakers who just love the medium as much as us fans and so without further ado here is our conversation with director sam hargrave i guess the the natural place to start now that the film has kind of been out uh, for like a, a little bit is I guess the success of uh, the movie because it's undoubtedly been a massive success not just on Netflix but just in terms of just like film right now so for you as a filmmaker what what do you, what do you um like how does it make you feel I guess to know that like your directorial debut was like received this well by so many people around the world it's uh, insane, really, because the you know you, you set out to make a film and you hope that it all comes together and people enjoy it. But to see the response globally is a dream come true. It was never something that I was expecting. Um, so yeah, I, I'm really stoked that the, the positive response worldwide has been um, a really uh, fun experience. It's, it's it's I can't even put it into words. Really, it's it's hard to hard to express. Yeah, well, and, and I think the interesting thing about it is, like, well, I have no doubt that it would have, like, succeeded on Netflix in general, just given the star power of Chris Hemsworth and the kind of movie it is. Uh, it is, we're kind of in that weird space right now in this time in the world where it's like, it was the perfect time to drop this movie. And so, like, going, leading up to the release of it, did you th- did you kind of have, like, an inkling of, like, oh, you know, maybe this is actually going to play well because I guess there's really nothing else coming out at the moment. (laughs) Well, if you have to take a positive out of this crazy world situation, it it was, you know, we we did kind of 
uh, we were aware of that. We were tr really struggling to, f you know, finish the movie. Not struggling, but we knew that that uh, things were starting to be restricted, and it was going to be harder for us to get to, for me at least, to and from the post house. So, you know, we were really trying to get it finished quickly so that we could be ready for our release date on April 24th. But then, mm -hmm. you know, as we were seeing the landscape, noticing that we were one of the few new movies to come out during this time, uh, we did kind of say, hey, you know, this this could be a real positive for the world, not just for the yeah. movie because people are going to be you know, seeing it, but for, for those who were locked up in their homes and, and didn't have new entertainment coming in, this could be a really great way to help them escape and take their minds off of all this craziness that's going on around them that they can't control. As a personal yeah, yeah. anecdote to that, this is the first Netflix original film I ever stayed up until 2 a.m. in the morning for when it exactly dropped. Um, I love action wow. movies. Griffin told me it was uh, yeah. like I was going to love it. And so it's the first time ever both my wife and I stayed up till four in the morning, started at 2 a.m. Um, exactly to that point of like, it's like that experience of the opening night. That's what this was for me. And so it's a pretty cool little experience. And wow. to be clear, I love, love the movie. Well, thanks very much. That's high praise because, I mean, you know, oftentimes, that, myself included, you watch things on, uh, you know, like on Netflix or, or they come out and you're you, after a full day of work and, you know, you kind of might be nodding off or what. That's the difference, right? Like you go to a cinema, it's a little bit harder because you, mm -hmm. you paid your money and you've traveled there and you mm -hmm. set up this date night or whatever it is. And now you're like, I'm staying awake. But sometimes, you know, you sit back on the couch and you start it and you oh, fall asleep. But I've some of the so that to me is one of the highest levels of praise for that platform is that you yes. put on this movie and it's entertaining enough to keep you awake from 2 a.m. to 4 a.m. That's crazy. <laughs> and, and, so I, and I have three I, kids I under the age of that. 10. So <laughs> staying up that late is not something I normally do. So uh, and it was well right. worth the experience. It's pretty cool. Like in this era where we can't go to the movies, this was kind of the big opening night yeah. movie that I've had over the last two months. And, um, yeah, um, yeah, yeah it's early, been early, it's been early. pretty cool to be able to provide that for people because I've heard you know similar response from others that it was it's kind of an event movie which yeah, usually yeah. doesn't happen you know on on this platform but it's really cool that you guys got to experience it that way. Yeah, well, and and I guess kind of to that point, you know, talking about the fact that it was like you you know d distributing it on Netflix and whatnot, um, and like you know it being like a massive event and people tuning in the way they they have. Um, I've always been curious about how the distribution method uh, sort of affects the cadence of a film because I have to imagine when you're going to streaming. Um, that's that's going to affect how you would structure it as opposed to if it was going to a theater, you're allowed to kind of like let scenes breathe a little bit more. Whereas like now with it going to Netflix, you kind of have to really jump straight to the point. So um, for you working on Extraction, knowing that it was going to Netflix, knowing that people wanted to see Chris Hemsworth, how did that uh, affect, I guess, the editing process? Yeah, that's a good, good point. We actually, shooting the movie, we didn't, um, change our approach. We all, uh, you know, say we, the the filmmakers, the Russo brothers, and you know Patrick Newell, our line producer, and and uh, Tom Siegel, our DP, and you know Chris acting, me directing. We all approached it as if we would any other film we were gonna you know shoot for the cinema because we we all love cinema. That's kind of how we kind of grew up or enjoyed ingesting our stories so we, mm -hmm. we approached it with that look even deciding the aspect ratio sometimes if you know for streaming stuff you want to change the 
the aspect ratio so it's not so widescreen because sometimes people like on their TVs or phones that may be harder for them to view but we're like no we want to stick to this cinematic feeling um, and so yeah we shot it that way now in the editing process we did make a few little changes just because we're like we know that we got to get right to it and you know grab people's attention so there was a slight uh, change in the the structure of the beginning but other than that we, we stayed we tried to stay true to the DNA of the story and we just tried to you know bet on audiences sticking with us when you present a story and characters that you want to follow so I mean mm-hmm. we didn't we didn't do a lot of uh, shifting truthfully and it would have been a, I think a similar movie in the cinema okay well that, yeah I mean I guess that's that's good to hear because I I would imagine that like you know, uh, I, I guess the opening, for instance, it's like I could see you guys like either opening with him kind of like in the midst of battle to really like, you know, build intrigue or like you start from, uh, I, I guess, the kid's point of view and whatnot. And then you kind of follow him along until you eventually meet Chris Hemsworth. Um, and I feel like with audiences tuning in on Netflix, it's like, OK, we want to see Chris Hemsworth right off the bat because that's why we're clicking into this movie. We want to see him like shooting guys sure. up and whatnot. Yeah. That was definitely a consideration with the opening is because, you know, the pro- the promise of the premise is you got Chris Hemsworth with a gun. And like, if you don't give me that, I may go watch something else. So yeah, we definitely yeah. considered that in the in the structure. And then, you know, and we um, but I think it works because that we wouldn't as filmmakers, we all discuss these things and never wanted to compromise the integrity of the story or the picture because of the format. And I think yeah. the cool thing about Netflix in this way is yes you have to be aware of that but it does provide a platform for filmmakers to kind of stay true to the craft and say like hey this is this is filmmaking this is the story we want you to um to to watch and if you you know if you don't want to if it's not for you you've got other options you know it's just a very interesting um um i don't know i guess choice choices that you have as a filmmaker you could say hey this is our movie and, and be very unabashedly presentational about that yeah, and, and I guess kind of to that point, Netflix is sort of providing like an outlet for the mid-budget action movie to just to kind of live. And not just action movies in general, but really like all those movies that like used to be prominent at the cinema that really, you know, are struggling nowadays. It's like Netflix is kind of providing that avenue. And it's it's and specifically when, it, you know, as it pertains to action up until like the John Wick films, um, it, it kind of seemed like that kind of movie that mid-budget action movie was like largely you know missing from uh you know the mainstream and whatnot it was like kind of forced to resort to like vod and and stuff like that so i i guess do you do you feel like the future of this kind of like genre and not really genre but this like uh size of an action movie do you think that it's going to be in places like netflix or do you think that uh you know, because of what John Wick is doing, that we th- these films can still survive in in cinemas. I, I think, I mean, the the that larger question of you know, the words survive and cinema is in yeah. this um, you know cli- current climate is a very interesting um, thing to talk about. I, I yeah. think there's going to be a resurgence, actually, personally, of people going to cinema just because it's been denied you so long. It's like when you try to go on a diet and you're like, I'm no ice cream what's the one thing you want so bad? And then when you get to that ice cream shop, you just eat all the Ben and Jerry. So I think people might start going back to the cinema because they miss that communal experience. But mm-hmm. uh, to, you know, to, to that question or to uh, uh, mid-range action movies or mid-range budget action films having a home on Netflix, I think definitely. 
and I, I really love the space that Netflix has created for filmmakers to present those movies that may not have in recent years found a home in the cinemas to their audiences because people want those movies. I think that, and you can see that I think in the response to extraction, Yeah, there are audiences who really like this kind of movie, this very kind of straightforward um, action movie. That's a bit of a throwback to movies of the eighties and nineties where it's, you know, you've got a, um, a kind of a, a torn, a broken hero, but with a very clear mission and, you know, this hard hitting action that tells a story through that action. So I, I think Netflix has created a wonderful home for these movies. And gosh, I mean, if, if, and my experience with Netflix was so positive and so um, rewarding mm. that, Hey, if that's, if that's where they make them, if they're the people doing it, I, you know, that'd be a great place to, to make movies. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. On specifically the movie extraction, if anyone is listening to this, that hasn't seen the movie, there's just a bit of a spoiler in the, so skip ahead in the interview. But so wondered if you could give your thoughts on the final shot of the movie. Obvious, a little bit of an ambiguous as to who's standing in the background. Can you give us a little bit of a anything that you could ex- expand upon that as to was that, in fact, Rake standing there? Uh, yeah, well, for, for us as filmmakers, we, we made that choice because um, for us what that shot represented was hope, if you will. And <laughs> then it was a, it's a bit of you know, create your own ending or uh, up to the movie because you know certain pe- when you watch the movie certain people are going to feel a certain way like is it more satisfying if rake uh, gets his redemption through sacrifice some people will say yes others will be like oh no 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 i need him to live that's what's going to make me hopeful mm-hmm. so with that ending like we we tried to be you know and so that's the beauty of cinema and art is like you get to paint this picture and then if you stare at it long enough different people are going to see different things depending on what they bring to that, you know, piece of art. So um, for us, that final image, it represented hope. No, either whether or not you wanted to have him alive or dead, it gave both camps a satisfaction we thought. And, you know, that was the, that was the goal of that shot. So you could take it either way. And, uh, you know, we, we wanted to give people that uh, satisfaction. Yeah, I, I always like kind of looked at because the whole movie was kind of like dealing with this um, this through line of like uh, father and son dynamics across the board, not just between like Rake and the kid, but like even the um, y- you know the 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 kid in, in uh, DACA who was like kind of in the the what what is it like the uh, gangsters army or the dr- sorry the drug lords army and whatnot. There was almost like yeah. a dynamic there, and so um, I kind of like I always looked at that final shot as just being sort of like metaphorical and whatnot like like the kid is going to kind of go on now that rake is sort of like sacrificed and whatnot great yeah because we we did there were there were and it's interesting you you mentioned the father-son dynamics there were for me reading the script very strong thematics about father-son relationships with farhad and asif so on the villain side and then kind of in the middle you had the um uh, saju and his son that he's fighting for to save his life and then the um, you know, kind of broken relationship of Ovi with his father who's in prison and then mm-hmm. kind of the rake coming in there to replace that void or fill that void. And uh, and then again, it, Ovi filling the void that, that rake had with this loss of his son. So there was so, yeah. you know, full of father-son thematics that I really, we tried to really hit home on that. And, I'm, you know, it's great that you took that away from that final shot. Yeah, for sure. Well, and I assume most of that came from then Joe, then as opposed to you, or did you kind of have any contribution to that uh, that part of the story? Uh, well, I had a lot. The original story, like if you go back to Ciudad, 
uh, the original screenplay and, and graphic novel, the, that character was originally a girl. Uh, he mm. was saving a young girl. And so then what I saw when I was reading the script, and I spoke a lot with Joe and we made this decision together, but was I saw that the other relationships, you know, were father-son. And so I th- thought to, to kind of, you know, complete that and have a third father-son relationship is to make that, you know, character into a, a, a boy so that you had the father-son dynamics and it just, it really, with the A story and it really kind of hit home. And then we actually, <clears throat> you know, that wasn't the, it was a, a thing that we did kind of re- change from the original draft is, and we wanted to go not only the father-son dynamics and, and thematics, but the water theme. So bringing yeah, the kid yeah. back or from water, that was something that wasn't, you know, that I, that I came up with and thought I pitched to Joe and he, he liked it. And so we, we kind of, we thought it worked well. So you're, now you're blending both of those themes, water, you know, as a term of, you know, cleansing and, and forgiveness. And there's a lot of thematics that we wove in. Who knows if yeah. people see them great, if not, you know, that we, at least we were thinking on that level and we tried to communicate that through a lot of visual themes. Yeah. I, I mean, you definitely get that, like, uh, you know, that level of thought, like put into, into there. Like, I, I, I think it definitely comes across. Um, but kind of shifting a little bit away from that specific uh, part of the film, I think one of my favorite things about action filmmakers specifically is like, you can often see influences or like the kind of films they're interested in uh, outside of the action genre sort of weaved throughout their work. Uh, the first thing that comes to mind for me is like Chad Stahelski and uh, like his, his love of like Asian cinema. I think that's super present uh, in a lot of his work. And so I'm curious for you, what are the types of movies outside of this genre that influence your approach to filmmaking? Um, well, outside the genre, it, I mean, I can mention inside the genre just real quickly, but because I, oh, sure, yeah. I also was influenced by like Hong Kong and Asian cinema for the kind of the action style and, and the you know longer takes and wider, um, ang- uh, wider lenses and <clears throat> Dutch angles sometimes that follow action. And then, but then the mixture of that with the the Western action movies of the '80s and '90s, like the Die Hards and True Lies and Rambo, and you know those kind of things that I think have a lot of great qualities. But you know, outside of that, like I'm I'm drawn to uh, stories that, like I love what Del Toro did in like um, uh, The Shape of Water with the the thematics like that mm. that was something that was really drawn to or or in um like children of men how the how the camera becomes a um a character almost in that in their version of like a warner so there were those yeah. were two very strong influences for me that those directors um and just the, the visual style that really speaks to me of using the camera to tell a story through the the, and the lighting and the um you know and the the, the color schemes and the blocking, so it, you know, to it takes many years to I think to reach the level those guys reached. But at least sure. as a fledgling filmmaker to be inspired by them, that I, I took a lot of inspiration from those. Those yeah, well, and I think especially as it pertains to the one take. I mean, obviously, you did that that jaw dropping one in in uh, Atomic Blonde, that hallway fight scene, which is, I mean, I still go back to that, and it's just like super mind blowing what what you're in for with that. But like, it's interesting that you do mention the Children of Men because there is sort of like there, I see elements of that one one are for sure incorporated into this. Um, and so I guess when you were piecing together that particular take, because I I I've like listened to you explain this like numerous. Times so I don't want to kind of like go gloss over that again, but um, yeah. what were like 
I guess the the things you referenced and, and how did you did you feel more comfortable doing something like this because uh, because of your work in Atomic Blonde or, or stuff like that? Sure. I mean, um, Atomic Blonde was an amazing experience of just how that, that extended take can really draw the viewer deeper into the story and closer to the character through that experience, that shared experience. And so that was what I wanted to do with Extraction was to, again, at that at this particular time, was to allow the audience to become a participant in the action to where you feel what Rake's feeling in real time. And and part of the, the thing that I loved about uh, both of those, what Dave did with Atomic Blonde and allowed or allowed me to do with that sequence and what um, you know, Curion did with uh, um, Children of Men was the moments between the moments, we'd call them, the, the pauses, the, the, it wasn't just about go, 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 go. It was the, the moments of stillness, like, um, yeah. you know, the beat where up on the roof where, cause then that was something we changed actually on the day we, we had written all this crazy action. They get to the rooftop and then, you know, they fight some more bad guys and then they jump over the roof. So we're like, wow, this is a lot of action. What if we take one of those moments that is so powerful in children of men or an atomic blonde where, you know, when he in children of men where he goes up and he's walking through and he's, you know, hearing the screams and he's, here's the child you're following that sound. Yeah, so it's like yeah. we take a moment and pause and have a character beat where, you know, it's still high octane. It has a little more of that blend of, you know, Children of Men mixed with a line from a Die Hard movie, but where he's like, hey, kid, you trust me? And the kid's like, no. And he throws him across the, <laughs> the roof. So you get a little bit of that 80s one liner mixed with a character moment of like the truth of, hey, do you trust me? It's like, no, but you could, you know, the subtext would be no, comma, not yet. Until yeah. and so then later at the end where when after um, Saju gets hit by the truck and he says come on kid get in, the kid has gone from do you trust me no to I trust you enough to get in the car with you, oh, and to yeah. to trust you to save my life. So you know it's all for me just about the storytelling and trying to weave in those those still moments so that it feels balanced. It's not just an overwhelming barrage of action. Yeah. Oh, I love I love that that integration of of like you're right like the the stillness and the 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 story kind of thematics of like the Quran and the pacing of that with those those classic 80s one liner. Uh, that's that's great cuz I I didn't even think about that until you just brought it up. Yeah. So, I mean, I grew up uh, in the 80s and 90s when movies like this were that's uh, you mentioned them Rambo True Lies. True Lies is one of my early memories of going to a drive-in theater first hour was watching the lion king and then walking over and watching true lies um and so i just love these types of movies and anytime one of them comes out i'm just so excited to see it and it seems like um it's a bunch of former stuntmen transitioning to directors um, seems to be leading that charge. And a bunch of these movies I get excited about, whether it's the John Wick guys, uh, Rick Roman Waugh doing Angel Has Fallen and now Extraction. Do you think that there, where do you think some of that comes from? Well, I think above all else, we as directors and then, you know, stunt performers becoming directors eventually is we're, we're fans of action movies. And then so above all else, that's, I think, where we come from. So if we can make movies that like the ones we enjoyed, then we're, you know, we know there's other people like us who enjoy those yes. movies. So why not make right movies here. for all of us? 
Yeah, exactly. So yeah, Sean's there. We got we got at least <laughs> one fan out there. <laughs> but if I, th- I think coming from a stunt background or an action background, that doesn't necessarily make you know Chad or Dave or me or Rick like just because of an action background doesn't make you a, a you know a better director for action. I think we we're at the foundation of that we bring uh, you know a, a love of cinema we're fans of the genre and we're also students of film it's not just like oh be, you know, because you're a stuntman you're going to be a great director it's like no you there's a lot of other elements that have to be present to tell a good story that's one of them and it can help give you a unique lens through which you can shoot an action scene or tell a story and so that is the one advantage but there's so many other elements to it but i think you know, at, the, at its foundation, at its core, is that we uh, have a love for that genre and for cinema, and that we we've studied it and you know, eat, live, and we just we breathe, we live and breathe it. It's part, it's in our DNA. Yeah. We love action. What I think, even kind of yeah. one of the things that I love about these types of movies is, as much as I love big gigantic CGI, I mean, you can look at the posters behind me. Clearly, love the big CGI green screen spectacle films. But when it just goes back to stunt work, and you can tell that was a guy that just hit a thing. That's a car that is driving through an alley. There's just something about that that um, is special. Like I interviewed Rick Roman Wah, and he was talking about, oh, all the explosions in this movie were real. I mean, maybe a small amount of CGI, but like we really blew all that stuff up because you can feel it even in a theater when an explosion happens. And there's just something about that that's a little bit different. Yep. Agreed. And I think that's something, again, why those movies are so inspirational. And it's, it is a throwback. Those, that experience of feeling the explosion, of seeing Jackie Chan's stuntmen fall and hit these things on their way to the ground and feeling the, you know, that bone-crunching impact, you're like, ah, oh, you can't replicate that yet with CG. And so to revisit that, what excited me as a filmmaker, it's just my chance to, to give that feeling to other uh, you know, uh, movie watchers. So, yeah, that, that's my it's my chance to give back, and I think I, I won't speak for Chad and Dave or Rick, but I think that has a lot to do with you know the inspiration of returning to a very practical style of filmmaking where it's real people performing real action with real consequences for the characters. It's something we were inspired by growing up. Yeah, well, and and I think that's what makes like movies like like big blockbusters like The Winter Soldier like uh, one of the best in the MCU just period uh because it kind of incorporates both of those elements there of like that hard hitting like mid budget action sort of like uh like visceral like fight sequences but like you're getting your your you know your comic book spectacle um and I, I don't know if you felt that while you know working on that film I obviously as uh, Chris Evans stunt double but um I don't know. I think I think there is there is a way that you can get the best of both worlds. It's just we don't always get it. For sure, and that I I don't disagree with you. That is one of my favorite uh, movies in in the Marvel Cinematic Universe for that reason. Is it is the a really good blend of re, uh, reality or hard hitting action, real stunts mixed with the. CGI spectacle that we kind of people expect and demand of those level movies. But I think you're right. And that's something that I've kind of always said with when it comes to shooting action in those big movies where you, you can have both, you can have a really good story and you can have really 
well shot and edited action. There's not, it doesn't have to be one or the other, you know, sometimes yeah, people, yeah. and in a way, and I'm not, again, it was one of my favorite comic book movies ever and I'm not bagging it. I, I love it. But like, you know, it's like, um, the dark Knight, for example, you like mm-hmm. that. It's a great movie. Personally, I, like, there's certain things with action that I would have liked to see a little differently with, with Batman. Mm-hmm. Yes. But, and, and I, you know, but, I do, but I don't think the two have to be mutually exclusive. Like I think you can have a great movie, a great story, great drama, with great action, and then you just get everything, and you can have your cake and eat it too. And I guess that's kind of what you know, uh, what I would like to in future films bring is you know, or you know, hopefully people got that with Extraction, just a good movie with a good story and with good action, bring it all together, so you get to have all of your favorite things. Would you would you say that the Dark Knight Rises gave you a little bit more of what you were looking for? <laughs> no, <laughs> um, <laughs> no, not at all. I think, uh, it, but that's hey, that's all we could. I mean, we could talk. I I think between the three of us could talk for hours about uh, movies like that and action and and you know what, sure. what we like. But that's what makes that's what makes cinema so fun, I think, and so interesting. Yeah. And art in general is it subjective? Like you know what I what I love about certain movies, other people might not. Or what you know what what I love or about or I would change per se about a movie like that. Some people go, "What are you kidding? It's perfect." So that's that's what the beauty of it is. You can you could talk about these things. Uh, afterwards and then also the, to have a chance like for me to to sh- make a movie that shows how i would like things to be seen then i get to, mm-hmm. to do it so i don't have to go oh well if i was doing that movie i'd change it we're like well you just made a movie so you know you people now get to discuss how they would change what you know what you did and that's i think part of the fun of it and hopefully it can inspire people to to do bigger and better action and tell better stories because of you know things that we've done like we've we make these movies and inspire people hopefully to do better so with, yeah, with the success yeah, sure. of the movie, they've already, I guess, kind of announced a second one is coming. Are you signed on to do the second mm. one? Uh, not officially, no. I mean, right now we're we're going through as filmmakers. You know, Joe is officially signed on to write uh, another uh, movie in this kind of extraction universe that we've created. Um, where where that is, you know, where that falls before or after, we don't know. We're discussing, you know. Where in this? Where does it take place in this universe? Who does it involve? What's you know? What does it all mean? But um, I would love to be. I had some of the most wonderful moments making this film. Is you know, great friends that I had going into it, or we got even closer. Or new friends that I made. It was an amazing experience working with Netflix and the Russos. And would I do it again in a heartbeat? You know, we'll see when you know when all of this stuff lifts and we can make movies again. We'll see you know what uh, what comes out of that. Uh, out of that uh, screenplay. Yeah, personally, I'd just like to see, like, other members of the Avengers get their own, like, you know, mid-budget action movie like this. Like, you know, put Paul Rudd in Extraction 2. I'd love to see that. That would be... That'd be something else. (laughs) That's a fantastic idea. I'm gonna... I'll run that by Joe. That's amazing. Brilliant. (laughs) I love it. Is there anything Um, you can tease about any sorts of the ideas that are being discussed for where things might be able to go as a sequel? Uh... Not at this time. I can just say that we had a great time making the first movie, and you know the the chance or the idea of making a second one excites all of us as filmmakers. And I'm gonna for now, I'll leave it at that. It, with the sure. action, is there anything you'd love to be able to do if you had that potential with whatever your next project is? Is there something specific with action you would love to be able to to do? Um, 
specifically, you know, it's funny that those things a lot of times come with the story and it depends on what, you know, what we're trying to tell and, and who, where the character is at the time. So I don't, I don't think there's any just specific thing that I have to do and it will go into my second movie. I think it's that I do want to do something fun. I do want to do something, you know, try to push the envelope and, and entertain people and make them go, Oh wow, that's a different way of seeing something like that. But what that is yet, I don't know. And you know, that's part of the fun of the discovery process of the pre-production is like, once you get in there, like how can we take this story moment on the page and turn it into an action spectacle that people haven't really seen before? Yeah, well, I, and I think I read somewhere that you're like, you're you're working with your writing partner on like an original, a new original thing for your next project. Can you mm-hmm. give give us any insight into like kind of where you're you're heading with that? Yeah, I mean, we're we're adapting a novel, and my, my Fernando Chin is a, my my writing partner, and we've we've written other things in the past, admittedly not very good, <laughs> but we're we're trying now to to you know uh, do a little more creation on our own. You know, we're we're adapting a novel that's. Um, it's based on a, a really fun uh, book that uh, was um, it really just kind of tells a, a, a kind of an Asian American perspective, like an Asian American coming of age story with a, obviously because we're doing it a lot of action and just hopefully a really fun character piece. But mm. that's been a really great journey for me, uh, you know, as a as a filmmaker, this really diving in more into, you know, the writing process and just, you know, developing something from from the ground up has been a really fun process for me uh and i hope to do to do more of it you know we'll see what people think of of this passive our screenplay yeah yeah you know that's interesting because i i know you mentioned that you you had kind of like collaborated before on like past small projects but like uh just you know quickly looking at your imdb like you you did work on a lot of like short films like in your in in the early 2000s i guess some of your your earlier years so for you uh while while you were you know very prominent in stunt performance and whatnot has your path always been uh, like led to direction or was that something that you know after you did a little bit of second unit directing and and stunt coordination you're like oh wow maybe this could be something that i would enjoy doing directing was something i always wanted to do i I went to film school back in north carolina uh, to direct to or to to make films it was funny because i never really um differentiated stunt work or acting or writing or directing from making a movie it's all fell under this umbrella of we're gonna make a movie and so i learned all of it you know the editing side of things and it wasn't until a friend of mine kind of broke it down and it's funny how you know you can be so smart in certain ways and so oblivious and uh, you know blissfully ignorant others have no idea that you know it was broken down as like okay the stunt men do the stunts and the, the, you know, the actors do the acting and the sound. I was like, oh, I'll do it all. Like I gotta, I gotta write it. We gotta, <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to set up the camera. We're going to, I'm going to say the lines. You're going to hit me with a car and then I'm going to edit it together. And yeah. So it was not until after learning all of these skills in film school and practicing those in these short films and projects that I would do with my friends that, you know, my friend Thayer Harris, who actually, and wonderfully kind of, um, full circle movie style ended up directing second unit for me on extraction. Oh, wow. And he, I've known him since we were, I was 14 years old and he was 15. We we're doing martial arts together in North Carolina, but he was the one who was like, Hey, you know, you fall down on your head pretty good. There is a career path out there for you. It's called stunts. And I was like, well, that's, you know, hit scratching my head. That's a pretty good idea. And so yeah. I started off into that one because I, I wanted the, the, I love the, the physical challenge and the, the mental challenge of facing your fears and, 
you know, overcoming these obstacles and performing. I really love performing. So stunts was a great way in. It also was kind of a mirror to the path that one of my heroes, Jackie Chan, took, you know, from a stuntman to then he started acting and writing, directing, producing. And, you know, he did he did it all. And I just wanted to do it all as well. And so stunts seemed like a great way in to while I was young and, you know, supple to get out there and, and take some falls and do some fun things, but always with the goal to direct and tell my own stories. So mm-hmm. I have had kind of, I won't say, you know, a dual life or like a dual identity of like, you know, stuntman by day, director by night, but it was mm-hmm. always on my mind that I wanted to do this and to tell my own stories. Mini rabbit trail there. My own journey into talking about movies on the internet started with Jackie Chan back in the late nineties. I put up my first movie webpage and it was a Jackie Chan fan webpage and um, had like a picture of his body. You could click right. on it to see which parts he injured it. So Jackie Chan influenced both of us in, in our amazing. own ways. Uh, but yeah, I used to like trade That's uh, amazing. because back in the day, it was obviously difficult to get his actual Asian films. And so I was in all these trader groups to get some of the harder to get ones. And we mail VHS tapes to each other and everything. And that's how I got started. That essentially led to this conversation we're having. <laughs> I love it. I love stuff like that, man. Like how how small the entertainment world can actually be. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, and that's the power of movies. If you think about it, mm-hmm. these, you know, Jackie Chan making movies that inspired, you know, you and me and so many others, but then we come together, you know, whatever, 20 plus years later and are, have a similar, you know, inspiration that I think is powerful. And that's one of the things that has really drawn me to cinema and that I think kind of continues to have that, I don't say magical, but like an inspirational power to bring people together to, to entertain and and to really yeah. set people off on you know their own their own path to inspire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, for sure. Um, I I know we probably got to start wrapping it up here a little bit, but like one of the things we like to do on uh, this podcast is we like to do a thing called uh, film essentials, which is basically the essential films someone should watch uh, if they've already seen Extraction and they want more of that same thing, or like you know if they want to better understand it and, and, and whatnot. So. For you, Sam, what are the essential films someone should watch uh, after Extraction or if they want to better understand your thought process while making Extraction? Okay. <laughs> this is a tough one, but I love it. Uh, I would say, and that, what, do I, is there a limit on the number of films? Or what's, no, no, no. What's you can uh, stipulate. Yeah, it can be as, okay. as short or as long as you like. Yeah. All right. Well, I won't go as long as I like because that would go on forever. But I, I would say, <laughs> Jackie. Any movie by Jackie Chan, but specifically check check out the the Jackie Chan's Police Story, Part One and Two, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, because yep. it has yes. it's like it's Jackie's amazing style, and yet I mean his humor is in there, but the action is really kind of violent and hard hitting. It's kind of a different version of Jackie, which we kind of tried to tie into. So, Jackie Chan's Police Story One and Two, um, Children of Men, which we mentioned. Um, because I love and want to support him and them, the John Wick films. But then I, I think R- Rambo one, two, and three, like those are three excellent movies. I rewatched them recently and they still hold up. I mean, those, you know, James Cameron had a co- co-wrote yep. or helped uh, with the second uh, Rambo, like well, Rambo first blood, uh, you know, part two. Like I was like, wow, that, that was really, I don't know. It's a really good uh, franchise 
one, two, and three. Don't I don't want mm. to talk about you know, the other ones, but um, <laughs> yeah. So, that, oh, so you don't like be, the fourth one? Interesting. No. <laughs> even though, even though, even though Chad and Dave you know, worked on it, and a lot of people, I did like the stunt team who ended up helping us when we shot in Thailand. Actually, yeah. a lot of those same performers and stunt coordinators were on Extraction. That were on Rambo. You know, for all those things, sure. But as a movie, now nah, we'll go right past that one. Skip past it. <laughs> <laughs> Funny. That's good. That's good. Totally different. Well, same sort of direction. What have you been watching? while in lockdown stuck at home what are the things you've been watching recently maybe that you recommend what yeah yeah well i've been it's, i'm late to the game but i've been watching uh friday night lights the tv show mm-hmm. and oh, yeah. right around where i live a lot of the stuff in there is shot right here uh in literally in the town i live in in texas yeah well i just I mean, the storytelling, like the writing and the character development on that first season, like we just mm-hmm. finished the first season with my girlfriend and they're just unbelievable. I, I, I love that show. Uh, and then I've also been revisiting some movies that I grew up loving in, in addition to the ones I've already mentioned. I rewatched The Mask of Zorro oh, recently yeah. from Martin Campbell. So good. I, it's so good. Oh, Car- Campbell crushes movie. that. Fan it's oh, almost yes. It's almost the perfect film because it has it, everything yeah. mm-hmm. that you could want. It has action, adventure, romance, stakes. It's it's just a beautiful movie. And I really had, I guess, kind of forgotten how much I loved them, was inspired by that movie growing up. So that's those are some of the things I've been watching. Ma- Martin Campbell needs to come back, man. Like between GoldenEye... Mask of Zorro, uh, you know, uh, Casino Royale. I mean, even stuff in The Foreigner was like really good. So, like, I, listen, I know he's Jackie I know, Chan. I know he has Jackie Chan. Everything yeah. comes back to Jackie yep. Chan. <laughs> it does. It does. Uh, no, but for sure. But uh, okay, before we let you go here, little, little final thing, because I know you did some uh, second unit directing on The Mandalorian season two. Uh, can you talk about your experience on that? Obviously, I know you can't give specifics, but. Uh, what was it like kind of transitioning from the Marvel Cinematic Universe to Star Wars? You know, truthfully, I'm not sure um, where, where, where the, the timeline lies, but I know that I, I enjoyed as far as what I can talk about. But I, I think I'm going to have to do less than more here and say that I, I loved, sure. I'm a fan of the show, and I loved like watching the first season and what John and you know, company did with that franchise is beautiful. And it also, but again, reminiscent of the the things you grew up loving, like Westerns, mm-hmm. samurai movies, mm-hmm. all mm-hmm. the things that were inspirational. And, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to hopefully the second season, having more of that same nostalgic feel that the first season that we all love so much. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. No, it's, um, I'm really looking forward to, it. I'm, I know you can't say anything, but I am holding out hope that Captain Rex makes an appearance. That he's one of my favorite Star Wars characters. We've got uh, um, uh, Tamora Morrison as Boba Fett. I just give me Captain Rex. That's all I want. <laughs> that's, that's, that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, but anyways, listen, uh, Sam. Thank you so much for for your time. Really appreciate it. And thanks for uh, you know giving us some some extra time here. Uh, I absolutely loved Extraction. It was a fantastic film, and I, I hope to see uh more extraction movies but also just like i am looking forward to your next projects well thanks very much guys griffin sean i appreciate your time and uh, i'm glad you enjoy the movie and uh, I, I really enjoy what you guys do so keep it up thank you thank you appreciate it 
Well, there you have it, guys. That was our conversation with Mr. Sam Hargrave. Seriously, the nicest guy. It was an absolute pleasure, and hopefully I get the chance to chat with him again sometime. If you haven't watched it already, definitely head on over to Netflix and check out Extraction. You will not be disappointed. It is an edge-of-your-seat, adrenaline-fueled action thrill ride with some of the most just amazingly choreographed sequences, like I said, outside of the John Wick films. It's just, I loved it. I couldn't get enough of that movie, and if you're a fan of mid-budget action movies, you are going to eat this film up. So definitely head on over to Netflix and give it a watch. Thanks again to Sean Chandler for coming on this journey with me. He was the perfect co-host for this episode. I know how much he loves mid-budget action movies, and I know how much he loves Extraction. So it was great to hear him share those anecdotal stories with Sam, and I think it just added more to the conversation. But regardless, guys, if you are not familiar with Sean's channel, go check it out. He's one of the best commentators on YouTube. YouTube, and you can give him a follow on Twitter at Kirk Never Died. But the most important thing is I want to hear from you all, and I want to know what your favorite mid-budget action film is. I'm not talking about the big guys or even the small indie guys, those middle-of-the-road films that really scratch the itch when it comes to the action genre. I want to hear all about it down in the comments section below of wherever you're listening to this episode. Be sure, as always, to subscribe to the Playlist Podcast Network for more episodes of The Fourth Wall and the rest of our diverse film-centric catalog. Like I said, whatever your fix is, we definitely have you covered over there. And also, if you want to go the extra mile, it would really mean a lot to us if you left us a rating and or a review because it greatly helps the show out. It lets me know what you're all loving and what you want to see more of. I do have a few guests in the works for future fourth wall episodes. I don't want to tease anything just yet, but you can be on the lookout for some incredible guests and more incredible conversations so just another reason to subscribe to this podcast feed so that you don't miss another episode of the show and the amazing conversations that come with it but guys if you like me specifically and you like what i have to say you can give me a follow on twitter at griff schiller all right that's going to do it for this episode of the fourth wall and i will catch you next time take care